It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Fun message, uh, even like the uh, the title, A Twist on Trench Warfare. Uh, this is part 11 in my uh, Spiritual Lessons from Abe Lincoln's America series. And I think it's going to end up being a 14-part series. Uh, and it's been a unique one. You know, studying the antebellum period, this time period before the Civil War, uh, from 1815 to 1861, is sort of a an obscure time period uh, for most of us, because most of us know the Civil War, but what happened before the Civil War is actually, in my opinion, more important because it's what leads to something. It's what leads to the failure. It's what leads to uh, the conflict. Just like in studying World War II, it's really fascinating to study uh, the pass, uh, passivity of Great Britain and France and to see the rise of Hitler's power and to sort of say, okay, what can we learn from that? Because boy, did that lead to disaster. And is there something we can do different? Because we seem to be in a time period very similar to both of those, the antebellum period or the, the period of the rise of Hitler. What is the Christian to do? And of course, that's what these series that I do are on is how does the Christian live in such a time as this? When a, a nation is crumbling, how do we not crumble with it? Uh, so a twist on trench warfare. For those of you that are uh, familiar with trench warfare, uh, I, I have a slide up on the screen. This is the advent of trench warfare and the invention of true misery. <laughs> it's a good statement. And it's interesting because back in the days of uh, Abe Lincoln, trench warfare didn't exist. So you could say, uh, Eric, this isn't a very accurate uh, message. If How could you talk about trench warfare uh, when you're trying to talk about uh, Abe Lincoln's America and the Civil War era? Uh, because trench warfare is going to be invented, if you want to say it that way. No one really wants it, but it was invented in the time period of World War One. And uh, World War One is one of my great fascinations, and I still have never done a series on it. I'm, I'm pondering, you know, should I do the summer uh, fall series on World War One? You know, those are things that go through my head. We'll see. Uh, but I'm really fascinated with World War One. In fact, I've spent probably more time in World War One than Civil War and World War Two. Uh, it's a change time of history. But all of these are. Anytime there's a war, it, it, it has a tendency to radically alter the culture in which it is taking place. And that's what happened through the Civil War. It was a change of our country. World War I was a change of our world. Uh, world War II was a change of our world. There's no doubt about it. Uh, so... Uh, one of the, the men that I've, I've really been fascinated in listening to uh, about World War I is Dan Carlin. Uh, I, I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Dan Carlin. I don't know that he's a Christian, but his, uh, his I don't know if you call it training, his podcast on World War I is one of the most fascinating things I've ever listened to. So uh, this is a quote, but not quite a quote. I'm going to say I have to give him credit because this is, that's where it comes from. So I say Dan, Dan Carlin said this, but or should I say it's inspired by Dan Carlin because he, he wouldn't be able to take a claim for some of the phraseology because this is, this is a paraphrase. Uh, but it's going to give you an idea of trench warfare. Dig a hole five feet deep in your backyard and go out and just sit in it. And when it rains and it turns your hole into a mud pit, try and get comfortable and go to sleep. Oh, did I mention that there are 10 dead bodies in there with you? Some from as recent as 20 minutes ago, some from two years ago, still struggling to stay buried beneath the earth. 
The stench is so rancid, so foul, that it seeps deeply into everything. When you eat bread, it tastes rotten. When you drink water, it tastes like death. The horror of rotting flesh hangs about you like a fog. Oh, and did I mention the flies? They line your little backyard hole like a carpet. There are millions of them, and if you kill them off, they come back just as thick the next day. They are always there, crawling on you in your eyes, up your nose, in your mouth, on your food, and on the decaying bodies around you, constantly. Yes, and there are rats, everywhere feeding on this death, figuring you to be one of the dead, nibbling on you as if you were a bit of cheese. And did I share with you that once you get into this hole, you have a severe case of dysentery, which means that your digestive system is extremely unstable and whatever comes into your body must be expelled violently and often. And yet, if you lift your head up out of this hole to go find a latrine, there are a thousand machine guns fixed on your position just waiting for you to be so stupid. If you brave all that like a good soldier, then the constant boom, blast, and bombardment of mortar shells is sure to destabilize you. They explode near your hole with unrelenting constancy, attempting to scare you into retreat all day and all night. It's as if you were tied to a wooden post while someone wearing a blindfold towers over you holding a pole with a long chain dangling from it with a spike ball on its end. Every five to ten seconds, they swing this spike ball directly at you in hopes of hitting you. And whenever you whimper too loudly, they better ascertain your position and swing that spike ball closer. <laughs> Is that one of the most disturbing descriptions you've ever heard? And yet, when you go, when you study World War I, you begin to realize trench warfare was hell. It was the most horrific situation, and no one had ever experienced this in battle. Before World War I, battle was romantic, and yet it's going to take a completely different hue after World War I uh, because of this invention of trench warfare. But trench warfare is a uh, is a really interesting description for anything uh, because it basically is showing that there are two sides to something uh, They're and, and they're pitted against each other. Do you know that 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 middle zone between uh, two sides in trench warfare is called no man's land? It's usually uh, there's barbed wire and then there's this period of this territory in between that no one in their right mind would ever go because they would just be killed. Uh, and so as a result, but to. It's it's a great description of something in our life because there is an opposite viewpoint that is currently out there from the way you think and the way you reason and the way you conclude. And they, in a sense, you feel the bullets flying your way that they want you dead. And this is what happens before the swell of any great war. There is an animosity that begins to take place, just like in the Civil War days between the North and the South, where a trench uh, is being dug and there's a no man's land in between. And you don't have really any idea how to pass it, how to somehow communicate with those over on the other side, except for with bullets. And that is a very hazardous place for any culture to go, come. And so Abe Lincoln is going to be elected in the midst of this growing animosity. So I, on this screen, it says the privilege of being president. I mean, most of us would think what a great honor it would be to be president. And I'm going to say it's trench warfare at its best. The moment you are elected, half the country wants you dead. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but someone could be a perfectly normal character or even like like Donald Trump. Uh, I remember uh, just realizing, you know, I, I was never 
like a, a fan of what he did, like his investments plans, his different TV shows. I don't even think I ever watched one of them. Right. And so, but I knew he was there. I didn't, I wasn't against him. Wasn't for him. He was just a guy. But the moment he became president, did you notice that half the country, even those that used to love him suddenly hated him because political lines create an animosity. They create a position and it's a, a form of trench warfare and to cross over between no man's land to get to the other side and have a normal conversation with someone. It doesn't happen. You just get shot on the way over. And so what this is the time period in which Lincoln is living. Of course, trench warfare wasn't invented yet, but we have the same dynamic. So listen to this quote, and this is this is my best recall. The quote could have been something a little different, so grant grace to that. But basically, Lincoln said, being president is hell on earth. <laughs> Why would you even go for re-election, Mr. President? Because uh, he, he did. It's like, what causes anyone to actually want to do this? Because it is a very, very difficult situation. And for him to stand in the place that he was commissioned to stand at such a time, to try and hold the union together, what a task. So, again, here I am talking about the antebellum period, and I, on the screen it says Christmas 1914. Yeah, this is sort of a World War One message. It's one of my favorite moments in World War One, And so if I do a series on World War One, yes, I'm bound to bring this back up. But the reason I'm giving this is to try and show you something about the time period in which Lincoln lived. I know it's way after the fact, 1914 compared to 1861. You know, it's a long time. But Christmas 1914. A game of soccer would be really nice right about now. <laughs> what this is, this is a famous moment. Some of you are familiar with it, but it's called the Christmas Truce. I don't know if it was, uh, I don't remember how many months into World War I it was. I want to say around six, but I can't, can't quite remember uh, right now when the start date of World War I was, when uh, Franz Ferdinand was shot. I, it's, it's, not, it's escaping me right now. But we're right in the, in the throes of this meat grinder battle uh, of between the, the central powers and the the the, uh, the allied powers and it is bloody it is terrible it is disgusting everything about this this war is horrifying to everyone even involved in it and the soldiers really aren't that excited to be in it they don't have a problem with the german on the other side of the line the german really doesn't have a problem with the french guy on the other other side of the line but they're sort of for political reasons and governmental reasons and, and uh, nationality reasons are fighting this this battle, these wars. Uh, and so I have the statement, a game of soccer would be really nice right about now. It's Christmas Eve and everyone doesn't want to be there. Every one of the soldiers wants to be home with their family, with the ones they love. They don't want to be here on a battlefield. And so something very unusual is going to happen. And so I went to, I got this from history.com, maybe not, you know, the best description of it, but it's short, it's sweet, it's, it's simple to give you the idea. At the first light of dawn on Christmas day, 1914, some German soldiers emerged from their trenches and approached the allied lines across no man's land. Whoa. Are you serious? Guys, you're going to do that? They emerged from their trenches. I already described what that was like, okay, and how dangerous that is. And they are going to approach the Allied line across no man's land, calling out 
Merry Christmas in their enemy's native tongues. At first, the Allied soldiers feared it was a trick, but seeing the Germans unarmed, they climbed out of their trenches and shook hands with the enemy soldiers. The men exchanged presents of cigarettes and plum puddings and sang carols and songs. Some Germans lit Christmas trees around their trenches, and there was even a documented case of soldiers from opposing sides playing a good-natured game of soccer. That is an incredible story. It's, in fact, it is such a rare thing in all of history since 1914. In fact, I think some would say it's never happened since in war. That anyone would risk stepping out of their trench and walking straight towards the enemy line, calling out Merry Christmas. So this is called the Christmas truce by a lot of uh, historians. So the Christmas truce was one of the last examples of the outdated notion of chivalry being between enemies in warfare. It was never repeated. Now there's reasons for that. The generals were horrified that their troops would do this. I mean, this is how do you fight a battle and win a war? If you're going to have your troops doing this, you can't show this type of softness playing soccer with the enemy. And so this became uh, a very, uh, negative thing inside the general's heads, and they made it very clear this would never happen again. And yet for all of us looking on from the outside, there's something that warms our heart in the midst of this. We're like, yeah, more of that. The very real no man's land, the territory that no one knows how to access. So you're in a trench right now, whether you realize it or not, and there is something that's aimed at you. It's ideologically uh, aimed at you with its machine guns, to, and it wants you dead, okay? That's that's the way it works. Uh, this is how the enemy pits us against each other. This happens in denominations inside Christianity, but it happens in culture too, with political, social view viewpoints that literally are hazardous uh, in people's minds. They're toxic, and so it's like, we need to eliminate them. And so there becomes this no man's land, this territory that all of us that are uh, at all reasonable would never enter into. I can't ever say that. I can't ever go there because that would then trigger a bullet flying my way. And so it's a very real thing that we face uh, today is trench warfare, the two-party system, if we could call it that. So there's a word in scripture in the Greek, in the New Testament, called parates. And I'm going to call this the soccer ball, not the gun. This is a really cool concept, okay? It's heavenly. It's, it's the way the kingdom of heaven works. But most of us don't ever think about this in light of our two-party system, our no man's land, our socio-political issues that we face. But God has actually given the Christian a very specific tool. He's given us a soccer ball. And so what the devil wants to say is pick up your gun, aim it at your enemy, and kill him, hate him, revile him. And God says, no, no, grab the soccer ball. I gave you something better. The only way to have this soccer ball really is to know the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, because his Holy Spirit is going to gift us this as something that comes with the package of the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. It's called parates. Now, that's not what it's called in Scripture. It's called in Scripture gentleness, mildness, or meekness. Now, those words don't mean a lot to us. They just sound soft. But the idea itself is what I'm describing as a soccer ball. So uh, this is how 
you could unpack the word gentleness. I'm going to call it the opposite spirit. So what you're seeing on, in Christmas of 1914, you're seeing something that's opposite of war. You're seeing something that is so strange and jarring that all the way throughout history, people keep looking back at that and saying, that was very, very special. What's your favorite part of World War I? The Christmas truce. Well, that wasn't a battle. That wasn't war. That was an anomaly. That was something weird. That was gentleness. That was the opposite spirit being shown. So what is the opposite spirit? What is gentleness? What is proates? It's softness when struck with hardness. It's mildness when hit with harshness. It's a gentle word when belted with a spiteful word. Gentleness is divine control and governance over the inner man, holding the flesh in check that it may not be given voice or strength in the matter. It's setting down your gun, emerging from your trench and strolling into no man's land with a soccer ball in hand. You see, you don't, you're unarmed. I set down my gun. I have a soccer ball and I'm actually entering into no man's land. That is the craziest thing anyone could ever do. Or is it? You see, what I'm going to describe as gentleness is what I'm going to say Abe Lincoln is going to do in his generation. He is not desirous to continue this trench warfare. He's not sponsoring a war. He doesn't want a war. He wants his country to stay together. However, he's got himself a war. So how do you function in a time like this when you have defined sides and they're political, sociopolitical? This is a hard thing to lead in. 2 Timothy 2. 24 through 26. Now, there are a lot of great scriptures on gentleness or proates or picking up the soccer ball instead of the gun in scripture, but I'm going to use one here. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach patience, patient in proates, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So someone is captured by the enemy. They're being controlled by the enemy. They're, or maybe we could say it this way. They're controlled by hate and venom and murder. And they're in their trench over there with their machine gun aimed right at us. And God says, look, I've given you something. And that is that you could be gentle. You could have proates. And as a result, you could impact that person in that trench. They won't be captured any other way, except they won't awaken from their stupor, from their slumber. They won't see the shackles break on their wrists any other way, except for if you were to emerge from your trench and walk into no man's land carrying a soccer ball instead of a gun. That is the secret. That is what works, says God. And we're like, you've got to be kidding me. Who in their right mind would ever do that? You want to win them or do you want to kill them? How do you want to do this? Because I love them and I want to see them set free. Eric, here's a soccer ball. Will you carry it for me? Emerging from your trench without your weapons. Isn't that a uh, rather... <clears throat> insane thing to do. Lincoln approached his enemies with a soccer ball instead of a gun. In other words, what I think we all esteem about Lincoln is he wasn't a violent man that desired to, as we heard in the previous session, gouge out the eyes of those he wrestled with, which was the common thing to do in the frontier days when you were in a rough and tumble match. But he desired to win in a scientific way, is how he described it, as opposed to in a 
fleshly way where he would go after them the way everyone else goes after him. He wanted to go after in a different way. He needed to prove that he had position, that he had authority, but he didn't want to harm the one he was wrestling. And the same is true in this concept. How do you somehow get that person to set down their gun over there? How do you convince them that you care about them and you want what is best for them and you're not after their harm? Well, are you willing to, like the Germans did in 1914 on Christmas Day, emerge from their trench, enter into no man's land with a soccer ball in hand? What are you wanting to bring to the battle of our day. We're in a battle. We have specific lines that have been drawn and the enemy is trying to make sure that we're all positioned one against the other. The devil's trying to incite both sides so that we all pick up our guns and start shooting. However, what are you wanting to bring to the battle of our day? What's actually going to win? Is it a gun? Or is it a soccer ball? I know a soccer ball is sort of a funny statement, but it's symbolic in this of Christmas 1914, of changing the way it unfolds. Because most people don't really want to be in a war. They just don't know any other way. And the devil is inciting them unto hatred, unto murder. So what are you bringing? You see, in most of our minds, a gun is the only way to win. But I question that because I believe that God says, you know what? You can win this if you bring out the soccer ball. And you risk your life by walking into no man's land. That's what Lincoln is going to do. Now, for those of you that know the end of the story of Lincoln, he's actually going to die because of it, too. However, his death is not in vain. He is going to create there's a ripple effect that is going to come out of his life and the way that he handled this. And there is such respect on both sides of the ledger. Both sides, both trenches are in a sense going to appreciate and honor this man because of how he chose to live. Let's go through the leadership secrets of Lincoln that we've covered so far. Number one, draw loving lines, not hard lines. Number two, approach the nasty stuff like a Quaker. Number three, never ever send the first draft. Number four, listen like everyone in the room is smarter than you. Number five, bust through the cultural blind spots. Number six, inspire a Clapham sect in your living room. Number seven, slavery is not supposed to be a permanent condition. Number eight, define your hills to die on so you know where not to perish. Number nine, become excellent on the water, not in it. Number 10, wrestle to establish that you're a stayer. And today's, approach your enemies with a soccer ball instead of a gun. Lord, I pray that you would work miracles in our day through your church and that you would stir us up with love for our enemies, care and kindness for those that oppose us, that we would have proates, that we would pick the soccer ball instead of the gun, that we would approach that no man's land, even risking our life to see others set free. Lord, this is what Christianity is. This is what it's always meant. This is what you did for us, Lord Jesus. May we carry on the grand tradition of laying down our lives that others may live. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. 
Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.